Hello and welcome to 442 FM. This week we chat A-League Round 3, FFA Cup semi-finals and some tough tackles. Hello, thank you for tuning in again. Um, we've got four pod today. Um, after Kev did such a sterling job in the week, um, but we've been we, we, we're back in the room. So, Kev, thanks for taking over whilst we're away. I, think I try to do what I can. <laughs> and Con's back as well. Yeah, it's back. I've been working very hard on my other role uh, as the chief executive officer of the Antipostocogal Appreciation Society. <laughs> So, uh, Greek mafia strikes yeah, again. Yeah, that's right. And it's been a very busy period for us at the moment. So I've been drumming up support so, and I'm not finding so very much of it. And, it's just you and Ange at the that's minute. That's right. Me and Although, no, actually, um, uh, Gallup. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe talk, come on to that a little bit more. Yes. But um, you asked him a question this week and he yes, said they've got, got a great relationship. Yes, yeah, very best of friends. Unbeknownst to everyone else. but they, they were together at the game last night. Maybe somebody should tell Ange that. Hand in hand. <laughs> they, they weren't hand in hand. They no, looked like they were hand no, in hand at times. No, but. Well, they were face to face and quite. Uh, don't know what Anja just told Gallup, but he looked a bit surprised at the time. So maybe, <laughs> I think, I think maybe that was him breaking the news. Ma- maybe Gallup was saying, "Are you staying or going?" And Anja's shrugging, going, huh? "Shrugging." <laughs> what? <laughs> what did it, does he have that reaction to every question that Gallup asks him? Like, uh, Anja, do you want a beer from the bar? <laughs> Hmm? <laughs> that, 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 that noise while, while avoiding eye contact. <laughs> yeah. That noise was the, the sound of a shrug. Uh, what, what, what <laughs> Which works so well on podcasts. Brilliant on the podcast. <laughs> the, the, sh- the shrug all of Australia heard. <laughs> um, some tough decisions have got to be made by Mr. Postacoglu, but some even tougher challenges that we've had this weekend. Um, let's. Uh, Obviously, like the, the Vargas injury is, um, it wasn't necessarily a tough tackle, but, but we'll come back onto that. Um, but I think there's a lot of players that are probably pretty lucky to have not been going with a, coming out of this weekend with a leg break. Well, um, Erson Gulam wasn't lucky because he had uh, um, punctured a lung. punctured lung and, and a broken, broken rib, rib. and, and he still not... played on for twenty minutes, yeah. fifteen minutes afterwards. And and like, is the A League? Is it, is it as dangerous as being in a car accident? Is that what's... Because that's, that's the injuries that I hear people have punctured lungs, uh, car accidents. Yeah. Um, so that is crazy to me. And also the derby, we, the, the, I've never seen... The, the, the challenges that flew in, it's the most um, uh, legs not broken in a game that should have been broken because that, that, that was is unbelievable. I'd love to get Opta on that. What's the most non-leg breaks that you've ever seen in a game? Seven. Seven from this derby. <laughs> we, we need a new data set. We need the X leg break as, as against the XG. Yeah. Expected goals, expected leg breaks. <laughs> and, you know, we all know that A-League is was physical it, I mean, in I mean, nature, but that... I, I kind of, uh, you know, I was on the ground taking pictures as I tend to do at these things, and it doesn't give you the best perspective. I will give that away right at the beginning. But was it really that hard a match? Because to me, it looked like the Sydney players, and Brosk especially, were going down pretty easily, to be honest, oh. looking for the free kicks and looking for the penalties. I, you know, I think there has been some seriously hefty tacky tackles going in this season, and the refs have been letting people get away with it. But I wasn't actually sure that the derby was the, the worst offender for that. I thought uh, Ninkovic was um, crunched a few times um, in the in the second goal. He was crunched in the lead up to the uh, in the lead up play. Um, I thought uh, there was a lot of fifty fifty challenges where players didn't. Uh, Stop themselves from hitting each other. Mm. Like they never do that in the W anyway. But I just, I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm being biased and I thought the, the Wanderers are being rough. But Sydney were giving it too. It wasn't just the Wanderers. Um, and I think it comes uh, the, the A-League Grand Final where um, Victory and, and Sydney again were both giving it to each other. And um, we've, we've lost three imports now. We've lost Vargas, we've lost uh, Gullam, who is an Aussie import. Mm. And then we've lost the Sydney FC. Um, uh, the yes, Polish guy, but I don't know if that was a t- tackle. He he done his hamstring, but 
by the by the time the season ends, there'll be mm. all the players that we highlighted in our um, feature top ten inputs to watch. There won't be anyone standing. It is. It's a war of attrition at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, from, and then me, last uh, night, the uh, we talked about that off air, but the the mailing on um, Elsley, Elsie, yeah. Elsie, that yeah. was that. That's that crazy. was just brutal. I mean, to for him to get away without even a yellow was just insane. But having said that, you know, Jonathan Asprey was throwing himself around as well. Mm. Uh, and amazing that he was finished the game. Amazing that he finished the first half, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I understand that the directive has gone out from the FFA to referees this year that they want to make sure that there is as much game time as possible and to mm. let the game flow as much as possible. But by the same token, you have to give the players some protection. Oh, absolutely. There is... Like, that... I, that has to come back the the challenge from last night as a as a retrospective uh, ban because that is like to say not because and you can as well now because he didn't get a yellow yep um, so that that will come back unless like ref must have not seen that as clear as what we saw it on the on the telecast because that was it was horrendous there was a couple of other challenges I saw like that where the players were diving in with their feet I, I wish I could remember but. Um... I think it was maybe the Brisbane Raw, um, the Brisbane Raw, uh, who was that? Adelaide, um, Newcastle. Yeah, New, yeah, Newcastle Jets game. There was another, there was another one in there, and I think um, uh, a couple of other ones that I said just players flying in with both legs, and they're not being sent off. They're not being mm. um, so, mo- most of them are yellow cards, but if you're flying with both legs and your studs are up, even if you don't hit, aren't you off? Isn't that the directive? Yeah, isn't yeah. that the rule? I mean, like, it just shouldn't be. You don't go in with studs up. Mm. That's the bottom line. Yeah, um, uh, one foot you get a yellow, two foot you're off. Yeah, um, but going back to the Sydney derby, for, for me, I, I felt like it definitely felt like Wanderers had a tactic to uh, to not let Ninkovic play his game. Uh, and there was a few Sydney players like Brilliante had a good second half, but first half didn't have any time on the ball. And, it, and for me, it felt like. You could see how physical the game was. That Sydney standout player was Bobo, you know. So he was, and he traditionally is the one that's going to kind of rough him and mm. put himself about. So that, that he he that kind of um, kind of amplified that part of his game as well. And um, Sachedo, so, Sahedo, Sahuro, the uh, number ten for the Wanderers, he was um, giving Ninkovic a torrid time. That was his role. The whole game was just to was to follow him, and yeah. I think um, what's that line that uh, uh, Zidane said after being manhandled in the World Cup? Do you want my shirt or something? Mm. When he said, yes. "Would you like me to?" He's my shirt. You've been all over me or something. Anyway, yeah. So um, yeah, that was uh, that was a direct tactic, and, and it worked. But he, he still managed to provide four or five chances. I thought Ninkovic. And um, I just I still don't like him playing out there on the on the left. I think he's wasted. Yes. Would you, would you put him more central? Yeah, he he comes in centrally when Sydney get the ball, but he ha- but in defence he has to stay out wide. And you saw the first goal from the Wanderers that he he got completely skinned by Risden, mm-hmm. um, and then that's where the that's where the cross came in. So yeah, yeah. I, I think my, a lot of teams will be using that. Um, as a, he's a, probably a weak link out there on the left. Defensively. Yeah. Yeah. Because he has to do point. both things. He has to cover that space and then um, takes a lot of time to move in from there and, and come in centrally. But um, he was also playing very deep, I thought, in that game because Sahedo uh, did a very good job on him. So he had to come in deep to get the mm. ball too, which I think he improved in the second half. But yeah. And what about uh, Riera? He was scoring in every game until last night. He's he's been great for the Wanderers. Mm. Yes, uh, we, were, we were talking about players that potentially should have been banned. Bez, is he going to be banned? I think he is. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question that he is going to be banned. The question is how long should he get? Uh, and there was a, a bit of healthy debate on Twitter last night about whether he should be Danny Vukovic should be the mm. the the case model for it. No. Uh, but how, how much did Vukovic get? Half a season? It was um, eight months. And was it a... It cost him the Olympics and I think five games because of the way the season ran. And was Vukovic like a... 
two-handed push or was it a no, one-handed? It, it was a high five. Yeah. Um, a smash, a slap, so slap on the, so the hands. He was done for violent conduct, uh, whereas Bez has been done for unsporting conduct, as mm. Vuko magnanimously pointed out that you know it was different and you know fair play to him he just put his hands up said look I did wrong I did my time yeah uh, but I you know I, I kind of think anybody that touches a ref should get a ban and it should be substantial I don't think Vukovic I, th- I always thought Vukovic was hard done by yeah, that was, yeah. over uh, there was a huge overreaction to that uh, which cost him in many many different ways uh, and I wouldn't like to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the Fox Sports seem to be actively campaigning at the moment for him not to get anything, yeah. which baffles me, to be honest. Oh, he's, he's just a major player of the league, isn't he? But that but doesn't it, make him, you can't get away with that. No, but just because what, you're good doesn't mean. But that's why, get, that's potentially why Fox Sports. Yeah, I'm uh, sure it yeah. is, but you know, that's just, just no excuse whatsoever. You can't get away with that. Yeah, but I think Fox Sports is using all their energy up on Ange Postacoglu. They can't do it. With two figures at the yeah. same time, it's got to be spread out. So uh, they, they do seem to be mounting a valiant defence of Bears at the moment in anticipation of minimising his uh, suspension. Well, f- from, like, it's probably because Victory have had a pretty poor start to the season, and and as if Victory don't play well, TV ratings yeah, are affected. I'm not. I'm not defending. I know. I know. I know. And I'm sure you know. There's probably some truth to that. What you're saying, mm. but. At the end of the day, you can't legislate just in terms of mm. uh, TV ratings. You've got to have integrity to the sport and consistency, and you can't have players raising their hands to referees, no matter whether or not they're being antagonised by the referee. Every referee antagonises a player every time he doesn't give the, mm. the decision his way. Are you saying then it's all right to go over and start manhandling him? Well, that, well, that was what, um, what Muskie came out and said after the game. Um, the, the quote was, it was scandalous what the fourth official did to Bez. He provoked him. And, and I thought it was just one of those Muskie comments and uh, that he's just trying to defend his player. But then when I went back and watched it, the, it felt like it had all been diffused. Yet the fourth official still had his arm around Bears and was still leading him well away from the incident. And it was a good, like you know, a, a good few seconds. And then Bears was just like, "Why are you still touching me? I'm calm. I've got, I've gone away from the, the situation." For so me, an extra, it, an extra two seconds earlier, and he's he's all right. But just that extra touch. It's like when you hug someone and it's. Now it's getting uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You go beyond that three-second <laughs> yeah, yeah, limit. Just got, yeah, yeah. It was just, just that extra. Yeah. This I, I'm not sure why this reference just came into my head, uh, and it's probably not going to resonate very well with uh, with everyone. Can you remember Banzai, the the, the TV show? I knew of the Japanese one. The Japanese yeah. one, and there was the shaky hand man. Yes. And he would go and go onto red carpets and just try and shake people's <laughs> hands for as long as long as they could, and he wouldn't let go. I'm not sure why that. Referee, anyway. But uh, <laughs> um, so so the referee was pranking Bez. That's what you're saying. I, I, I reckon so. I reckon so. Pranks the fourth officials in the A League. Um, jumping around a little bit. What about the video referee? That's that, I. I thought the whole point of the VAR was that we had blokes in a room who looked at these things, made a decision, yeah. and then told the referee. And it was instant. Yeah. yeah. When did the referee start looking at footage on the sidelines? Because that's what happened. Yeah. No, yeah, it was. Oregon. But haven't they been what, doing that from the start? Haven't they been going, what's going on there? Yeah, but you've got the big screens and that's prohibited, <laughs> supposedly, mm. from looking at the big screens. You don't... It's team in the car... In the, the stands. Is it an iPad sense. they're looking at the replay? It What's seemed the... to be actually on the sidelines, at least anyway. It, yeah, it was far too long. You could have ordered a Big Mac and, uh, and fries in that time. That yeah. was a great goal. It was I, such a good goal. That's what I get upset about. It was such a great goal. And I think you should, like, if, it, if it's, you know, a, a few passes before the play, it shouldn't be allowed, the VAR. Like it should be yeah, just just within just yeah. within the play, and if especially you add points if it's a great goal, then you just let it go. But if it's, <laughs> you know what I mean, just a bit of leeway. So, so we should we can use the video ref as long as it's four goals. We don't want them taking that's away. That's right. Goals. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And if it's offside, 
like at the play, okay, rule it off. I think that's a fair call. You know, I think we should limit the VAR to looking back to the last play, the last mm. movement. Uh, in rugby league terms, probably back to the last tackle. Yeah. From that point onwards. Yeah. To take it back and back and back until the ball went out of play yeah, yeah. is just how, ridiculous. How far did you go back? Yeah. And you know, I think technically that's what they were saying they can do. They can go back until the ball went out of play and play restarted. Um, that's just far too long. Uh, if it wasn't, if that offside wasn't called originally, that gets through. If he's still offside, the next touch, then you call it off. And uh, Macaroni, like that was just brilliant play. I just remember him from his EPL days. That was scintillating. How's he going to do that again? He's he's scarred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it looks like muskets, so and that's going to scar him enough anyway. <laughs> um, we called it before the before the season, but Brisbane actually uh, fielded the oldest team ever in the A League um, this this week, and it was pretty damn old. Do you think that's why? Like. Do you think that, that why that's why the Brisbane crowds have been been pretty disappointing this I season? I think there's so many different factors going on in Brisbane. The um, absolute basket case of management that they seem to have there with the revolving door for the chief executive, management yeah. director, the uh, apparent interest, then disinterest, then interest, then disinterest from the back raise. The, they seem to at least have been paying the staff recently, which is a change. Uh, God knows how long that will last, though. And yeah, there's just so many issues and turmoil, so much turmoil, that uh, it's just a loss of faith. And, you know, the, the new concept of going for experience and veterans beyond the, the excitement of youth, mm. it's ridiculous. And Brisbane Raw fans, it's not... Not that long ago, where you had Barisha and Broish coming in, and Ange Postecoglou playing the the best football this country's ever seen. Yeah, and for them to what, 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 for them to come and watch, you know, uh, I'm not having a go on macaroni, but who are the players that are g- going to bring the fans in to Brisbane Raw? What what kind of play are they producing on the field that's going to make make them come? There's, it's, it's not hard to see why they're not coming. Yeah. And I, th- I think, to be honest, you know, the, the whole thing boils down to staleness within the A-League itself. The, you know, the narratives are being replayed and repeated so often. The, the com- competition, the rivalry is repetitive. Uh, and there's just an ennui, I think, amongst fans that it's just not exciting. Wow, it's not new. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's becoming stale and stagnant. And we need more teams. We need new stories. This was the season it had to happen. The I reckon. Yeah, this yeah. was the season. That you, if you brought in two teams this season, there would have been amazing momentum. Yeah. And it would have created so many new stories, uh, new pl- opportunities for players to come in. But we, we, there's going to be now a plateau. You, well, you've been following the A-League. Once we get those crowds... Once we get like a period of two or three seasons where it's all happening, all the derbies are full, then all of a sudden it's the same teams and you go, eh. And they, the FFA haven't done any promotion this season. Oh, the promotion's they, been terrible um, this year. Uh, less people, we're going to talk about this, but actually less people are watching it on Channel 10 than they were on SBS 2, mm. which is, I'm, I never would have thought that. So the FFA's resting on their laurels and this was the season to have brought in expansion. I mean, the FFA obviously have their issues off the field and I probably would have backed them wholeheartedly. You know, at the end of the day, wind the clock back 10, 12 years compared to the football we had back in 2003, 2004 to what we've got now. It's fantastic and that's mainly down to the FFA and uh, the work that they've done. But their treatment of football this season has been utterly appalling. You know, we have got the lowest um, launch, lowest key of launches this season, uh, which just never took momentum. We're using the same catchphrase as we had last year, but with virtually no promotion whatsoever. We had a few adverts and bus shelters, and that seems to have literally been it. The partners, the new partner, 10, 
I, I don't really watch an awful lot of commercial TV uh, as broadcast live, so I don't know. But it doesn't seem to have been that crossover promotion that I think mm. we're all hoping for. They've not embraced it like the Big Bash League and you know throwing up the uh, the mentions at every Bachelorette ad break or whatever yeah. it is. Why uh, is it? And if, and if we're not getting that. That's why only I think it turned out ninety four thousand watched on ten for the Derby. Why isn't Carey Bickmore wearing a Wanderers jersey? Why isn't Wally Dali wearing a Mariners jersey on the project? Yeah. Yeah. What, are they, what are they doing? Like that's, this, this that's is, what they're there for. This is what the cross-promotion was supposed to be about. I don't it. know what other shows they are. Like, why isn't Bart Simpson wearing a Sydney FC jersey? Is that on still on 10? I don't I know. I think he is a Wanderers fan, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you would think being yellow, yes. he would go for the Mariners. <laughs> yellow fever. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, no, it's all very disappointing. Uh, and yes, you know, we've had, what, five years without expansion now? Mm. And it's not going to expand next year. So there's another two years, two seasons, this season, next season, of exactly the same stories, exactly the same games. It's, mm. I think, it, it's unsustainable. I think this expansion conversation is maybe for a um, for a following pod, maybe yeah, even well, next week. The, that's possibly uh, very true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the meantime, let's let's talk actual crowd attendances. So, I, I, this has been my little bit of research for, um, and it, it, it's not kind of uh, kind of nailed on as to as kind of factual, but I think it does show something that isn't all kind of doom and gloom. Um, yes, this weekend the the Sydney Derby was probably a little bit less than than, than what we what we'd hoped for. Um, Adelaide victory game at the Adelaide Oval was nineteen thousand. Probably expect more than that for for Adelaide's well, supposedly the, biggest home derby. Yeah, and there was no reason to hold it in the bloody Oval. That's it. Yeah, they could have had that crowd at Hyde Marsh, and that would have been so much better. And what an atmosphere that would have been. Yeah, bad decisions. Bad decisions. So, I've just gone into the opening three rounds and um, and looked at the averages from some of the other leagues globally. So, week one is a, a bit of an anomaly because we have um, Phoenix and City at home, which both kind of have disappointing crowds. But then um, Mariners kind of had quite a good one, and, uh, and Victory Sydney was again maybe slightly less than than what you'd expect for the opening round. Um, so just short, of, just over thirteen thousand for round one. Round two was uh, seventeen thousand three hundred. Round three, with the additional to um, additional attendance to the Sydney Derby, is just short of eighteen thousand. Put that in comparison to some of the other leagues from from this season. Championship average attendance was nineteen thousand. Edvisi was just over eighteen thousand. J League was just over seventeen thousand. Um, the Brazilian top tier was just over fifteen thousand. Just think of how many. Mad football fans you've got over there, um, and the Scottish Premier League was um, thirteen and a half thousand. NRL season average from last season was sixteen thousand. I think that on paper looks good, but at mm. the end of the day, you've got to remember that's two big derbies out of those three rounds, and the Sydney Derby was the lowest crowd for a Sydney Derby in five years, uh, at least mm. five years, I think, uh, and. That is the more worrying statistic from my perspective. Mm. Uh, you know, we've that match this time last year when it was held at ANZ got sixty thousand. We've lost twenty six thousand. Yeah, and Allianz wasn't a sellout, and it wasn't even close to a sellout. Uh, that concerns me a lot, uh, and I don't know what we can do about that apart from. Advertising campaigns and because uh, I mean to be fair, the quality of football I think has been pretty good this season mm. so far. Um, I don't think it, it. I think it's better this year than it was last year at this stage. And I think in terms of the quality of the Sydney Derby, that was and that's, you obviously don't know that it's going to be a good game, but that was probably a single goal. If there was a winner in that game, that could have been one of the best Sydney derbies that we've seen. Oh, Matt Simon. Yeah, buried that header. Um, but what's concerning? You raised this before. Is the, is the low television audience on one HD ninety four thousand yeah. to watch the Sydney Derby, which is um, less than what SBS two had it last yeah. last season? 
And SPS2, everyone was complaining, oh, it's hidden, it's not. So then we go mainstream. And this is the scary thing about, oh, if only we were main, football was mainstream, if only a commercial. So we do get it on that platform and then the figures aren't there so the, what is that what is that what's that saying the only defense that i've seen a, a for that is that the wallabies were playing on the main 10 channel oh really that night it was on the, the main same time okay well there's that's a that's an odd thing um so yeah there was that's there was a very clash, odd time a clash to do and, that. and i would imagine from 10's perspective it makes more financial sense for them to sell the wallabies and get a bigger crowd for that uh, but yeah, it then goes back to scheduling. Why and why wouldn't you? Um, why make Sydney FC's first home game against Wellington Phoenix? Why make the champion Sydney FC play away from home in their first game? I'm very confused. And why have the Wallabies on at the same time as a Sydney derby? It doesn't make any sense it, to me. You know, a few years ago. The FFA used to insist on a soft launch almost for the A-League mm. while the NRL and AFL played itself out. Yeah. Uh, and as a result of that, crowd sizes were tiny and it just gave the anti-football media the opportunity to say, A-League's dying, look at these crowd sizes. So they then thought, that would change that. They moved it uh, till after the end of the AFL-NRL and they kicked off the season with the big derbies and got big crowds in from day one and it silenced the critics immediately. Mm. It worked wonders and now we've gone back to <laughs> Sydney versus Phoenix as the opening fixture. <laughs> and um, that's, that's the reasoning that uh, Greg O'Rourke gave, that they're going to put all the money in advertising um, towards the second half of the season, later in the season. No, they say that every year and they never do. <laughs> never do. <laughs> They throw some money at the finals. Finals, yeah. It's, what, it's where they spend the money because that actually comes back to them oh, through ticket right. sales. That's why. Mm. Uh, rather than give the money to the, the clubs, which is another good reason for the clubs rebelling. Um, Vargas. Just, I know we talked about injuries yeah, before, oh, yeah. um, but I was genuinely heartbroken to see him on the ground in uh, that condition. He was going to be such a great talent. Uh, he's a really nice guy as well. We went up and took some pictures of him. You spoke to him uh, yeah. for the last magazine. Uh, really nice guy and such a talent. And hopefully it's not career-ending. And, and Kanye, you said he's struggled very recently with injuries. Oh, yeah. He, um, he, he was on fire in Belgium with Club Rouge. And then he moved to Anderlecht and then did his ACL and played like 10 games in three seasons. And then he finally got his form, his fitness back um, with AEK Athens, where he's just been the last two seasons. So he was just, you know, back to peak fitness. And then this happens. And um, I remember him telling me it was a, it was a disaster that season um, with Club Rouge. Uh, he, he did very well, second top goal scorer. And then at the end of that season, did his ACL and joined Anderlecht. And yeah, it was just... It's very heartbreaking to see because we'll never know how good he could have been. Yeah, I mean, well, I think summary probably would have been very, very good and potentially <laughs> take Jets to at least a final slot, yeah. uh, possibly even grand final contention, the way they were, were going. Hopefully, though, you know, they've got a good squad and they can rally around with mm. and still sustain that uh, momentum without him. Uh, but yeah, no, just heart goes out to him. Yeah, I, I feel like Jets have made some good signings in the off season. They really have. Yeah, you know O'Donovan, top goal scorer, five and three. You know, brilliant. Petratos <sighs> again scored up two absolute screamers. Yeah. Um, I love how Brenton Speed says his name when he's in Petratos. <laughs> um, sounds like a spell from Harry Potter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, they like. Will they? Can they replace him? Do you, is the funds there? Do you think to? I think. Well, I mean, actually, what would they have insurance? Presumably, they'll have yeah. insurance, uh, and they can just cover the cost from that. Uh, but you know, I think it's all down to how much the uh, the Chinese are willing to commit to the club. But you would think there would be a chance of getting a decent injury replacement. Mm. Uh, somebody asked, you know, who's going to come at this time of the season? Well. It's actually quite a good time because there's got to be players that have fallen out of favour with mm. coaches yeah. uh, and looking to try and prove themselves uh, somewhere else. So it's probably as good a time as any before the January window opens as well. Mm. Uh, get somebody on board now. Yeah. 
Test, uh, test the scouting network. We have got a lovely chat with Paul Ockham coming straight through you now. Kev, you caught up with him last week? week. Last week? Was it last week? Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, was, it was ahead of the, the, the last round of games? Yes, it was. And, uh, you know, fair play to him. We had a, a good chat and he was quite reserved about, you know, the. the the, uh, the club's fortunes, but was a, acknowledged that it has turned around a lot since last season. Mm. Uh, but still, re- very realistic that uh, they're not finished product yet, and that defence is going to be the weakness, as has been exposed yet again. Unfortunately, the weekend. Um, but uh, he's not resting in his laurels, and he's looking for a new defender. Uh, he is a bit of the chat mm. right now. So here with uh, Paul Ockham, Central Coast Mariners uh, coach, second season. How do you feel the season's looking? Um, it's only round two, so um, we've had a really solid pre-season. Um, we've you know, brought in a number of new players. Um, the focus throughout pre-season was uh, to make sure that um, everyone understood the way we want to play and and having so many changes, that was a real focus in every training session. And we had some good performances, some good results, um, albeit friendly games, and um, you know we feel like we've performed considerably well in both games. Probably a little bit disappointing in the first game with how we defended in certain moments, but overall um, we feel it's a positive start, and hopefully uh, better results will come. I mean, apart from the, the scoreline of the first game, the difference between this season and last season looks like night and day, to, from my perspective. Oh, well, we, we knew we needed to be better, and that was obvious, and uh, you know, we had the opportunity to, to strengthen the squad, so we made sure that, uh, that we did that, and we looked at the key areas where we needed to strengthen. And, you know, we wanted to, uh, to uh, you know, bring in some really good, experienced players to... Uh, you know, to fill those positions and uh, and help the younger players who, you know, over the last couple of years have had a, a lot of football, um, probably weren't ready for it. And having experienced players around, you know, not only in games, but also every day in training, you know, can only improve younger players. There does seem to have been a sea change of philosophy in the way that you're approaching your football in terms of the squad. Is that a fair summary? Well, when we looked at Strengthening the squad, we looked at players that could play the way we wanted to play. Um, we didn't just go out and uh, sign a good player. Um, we went out and signed, we feel, good players that can play uh, the way we want to play. So uh, you know, I guess that's probably a simple strategy that most coaches um, you know, try and you know, try and come up with. And uh, you know, time will tell, but. Uh, we certainly on, on Saturday we, we were uh, playing the type of football that we want to play and um, hopefully we can do that more consistently and hopefully that, uh, that brings better results. Last season when you joined there was a cynical viewpoint that you were being brought in to cherry pick the best youth players that were in the game, bring them to Mariners, groom them, give them a bit of first team elite level experience and then sell them on as quickly as possible to uh, turn a profit for Mariners this year. It's experienced players with a you know uh, surrounded by youth players it, it looks like a much more accomplished team and um, philosophy yeah well when you bring in those experienced players obviously that you know, that that's sort of how it uh, how it looks but uh, you know we signed uh, Tom Glover who's 20 we signed Daniel Vassilva who's 20 we signed Kai Rolls who's 19 so you know, the philosophy is still there to, to uh, you, you're attract. Still, you're still looking for the best young yeah, players as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and obviously, you know, we have young Lockie Wales, who's also 97, who we've brought up through, our, through the NYL, and he's training with us full-time, and he's uh, going to be with us trying to earn a contract for next season. So, you know, we're not just going to be brought in experienced players, which we needed to, and we've not, uh, we're not turning our backs on giving young players an opportunity. And so... That's something that the club's always done, and you know, we will continue that. I think you know, previous years there was always this idea that the Mariners would develop a team, bring it through, get as many points on the board as possible by Christmas, 
in anticipation of losing players over Christmas, January, uh, and then just trying to struggle through. And that always seemed to be the case with Arnie, uh, that he was left kind of stranded. Uh, do you, are you concerned that you're going to lose players at Christmas? And... Yeah, well, you sort of don't know how things are going to go. Um, it's difficult to predict how the next sort of two months will, uh, will pan out. And, you know, if you become a victim of, of success, then I guess that's how football is. And we're not really sort of planning for that if it happens um, and there's a better opportunity for a player somewhere else, obviously in Europe, where the club and the player are, are happy. And, you know, I, I expect that that's every player's ambition is you know, to get an opportunity in Europe or in Asia possibly. So when and if that happens, we'll, uh, we'll do it. You seem to be given more resources this year. Is that a, is that fair observation? As in, uh, yeah. Well, you know, access to, to a bigger budget, perhaps, than you might have had last year. Um, well, last year I sort of joined five weeks before the start of the season, so um, you were kind of operating on the floor of the salary cap last year, pretty much, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm not too sure what the what the figures are um, right now, but. You know, certainly a lot of support from Mike in making the signings and you know, getting the team stronger. Um, we've we've only got 19 players, 19 outfit players, so we've got one spot open. And we, we, um, uh, you know, for the moment we, we're we're happy with that, um, and we want to make sure that uh, we've got all of our visa signings right, and we put. Most of our resources into that to get those uh, four players, and um, there's still room for for another visa spot. And uh, you know, as we go along, we'll assess it and see uh, you know if, if there is something there that's affordable and that can obviously help the team. Do you have anybody in mind in the frame at the moment? Or do you have anybody in the frame for that at the moment? Or? No, no. We are, we know what sort of a position it would be. Um, and we're sort of short. But, can you share that? Um, yeah, maybe maybe uh, another another defender. Right. Um, but you know we have Liam Rose, young Liam Rose, and Jake McGinn. They're pretty flexible, so that's why we don't have any major concerns at the moment. And, and, you know, we move forward like that. How would you uh, this now being your second season? How do you feel about the move from national team coaching to club team coaching? Yeah, it's still coaching um, and. Uh, Principles and the way you go about things don't really change. Um, but of course, if you work with players every day, you, uh, you can have a, a bigger effect on, on the outcome. Um, you, know, you can improve players quicker, and that's something that uh, something that was needed. This football club was you know, to to get the best out of you know, players who you know, maybe were having a difficult time or struggling. And um, I feel that we've. You know, we have done that. I look at Corbina Arpia when I come to the club and wasn't, wasn't sure myself on actually where where he sort of fitted in and, you know, he's improved outside and, you know, he's, whenever we've, we've selected him, he's always, he's always done a really good job. So I think the Mariners, that's, um, you know, that's something very important is maximising, you know, what you have because that power and those resources that you know the other clubs have. Is being the underdogs is that sometimes an easy excuse for some clubs to, to fall back on? That, you know, for underperforming, you know, we're under resourced compared to other ones. Is it something you've got to fight against mentally yourself? Or yeah, the club? Well, I don't know. Previously, but we certainly don't use that as an excuse. We don't we don't feel inferior on the football field. Something that we we have discussed at the start of the season and during pre-season is that, you know when we travel away, you know we don't want to be uh, trying to sneak into the stadiums, walking with our head high, chest out, knowing that we're going to compete with any team, and I'm quite confident we do that. And and then you know there's a, a lot that can happen. Um, but if we have belief, which I feel that we genuinely have, then uh, I'm not saying we're going to win every game, but 
we certainly uh, have more of a chance than what we may have had previously. How would you personally describe your own football philosophy and what you want to bring to the club on the pitch? Yeah, an exciting brand of football. Um, you know, we have good support at home. Um, you know, we're getting close to, again, another record of uh, membership. So, you know, there's, a, there's a, still a number of people we want to, you know, drag out from their homes or from wherever they are to, to come and watch the Mariners play. And the only way we can do that is by playing an exciting brand of football. And, uh, you know, part of, of recruiting was getting those players at a network. Have you, set a, have you set a target for where you want to finish in the season? No, not really. Um, we just want to keep improving as a, as a football team. Um, I think we've come a long way in a, in a short space of time and to be sort of setting targets is, is maybe a bit premature. Um, of course, you know, every player wants to play finals and, and that should be you know, the minimum. But We've sort of taken the approach of, you know, game by game, try and win as many as you can. And if you can do that consistently, then at some stage in the season, you probably can look at, uh, you know, where that top six, where those top six spots are. And you know, last season I think up until round 25, mathematically we had a chance. Uh, realistically, was was it going to happen? Maybe not. But you know, at the end, it's. It's about winning football games, and if you can do that, if you can do that more than your uh, rivals, then you're going to play finals. You must be excited about the season ahead. Yeah, very excited. Um, um, even after the, the heavy defeat in the uh, in the derby, um, it didn't you know dampen our spirits. We we uh, you know we, we we knew and we know that we're a good football team. We can play football. Um, we just need to be more consistent in, in, in every moment in the game and um, you know I thought we did that quite well on, on, on Saturday and, and you know so that sort of gives you that confidence and belief uh, there's not too many more difficult places than away to the Wanderers so um, you know hopefully that puts us in good stead for the for the rest of the season. Yeah I think anybody that watched the derby realised it wasn't a 5-1 game you know the scoreline might have said one story but the actual game itself is completely different. But it still must have been difficult to get everybody's heads up to come back. And, you know, bounce back to well against any of the Wanderers. Yeah, I, to be honest, it wasn't that difficult. I, I think um, everyone realised you know, the basic errors that we made. And, and you know, we, we sort of worked on that during pre-season. And I think we conceded more in the derby than we, what we conceded in all of pre-season, which for us was... was uh, you know, a real surprise. But, you know, we worked on it during the week and players were, were tremendous in taking everything on board. And, and it was one thing to, to work on to talk about it, but then to go out and actually execute it in the next game is, is the tough part. And the players delivered. So uh, they know they're capable, we know they're capable. Uh, again, it's, I think any other coach will say, in a 27 game season, if you can find consistency, uh, you pick up points. What's your own personal ambitions in terms of being on football management? Oh, look, I don't. I'm privileged to be in this position. I, mean, you know, I had four great years working in the national teams where I learned a lot. You know, I worked with some really good people. And now, you know, my pathway as a coach will, will ultimately be, be decided by uh, the way my team plays football and you when know, they take a win football games. So. They do say you're not a coach until you've been sacked. Um, it hasn't happened yet, so I still don't consider myself to be a coach. But um, you know, right now it's it's uh, it's also about you know developing and trying to uh, every day find you know better ways of of, uh, of doing things. And um, as long as I'm uh, moving forward and. and, and and, and making those uh, improvements So far, after just over a year in the job of Romanos, what would you say is the biggest high you've had with the club? Uh, well, you know, last season, be it right or wrong, um, you know, many thought that we finished last, uh, given the way sort of things went, and uh, you know, certainly wasn't 
you know, finals football, but avoiding the wooden spoon was important, you know, for our supporters. And um, I think it was important for us as a football club moving into this season. So, you know, to end it in the way we did, I thought was really positive. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of flowed on to, uh, to this season and, and, and uh, I can really see the benefits uh, from it. And the low? Yeah, the low, yeah. Probably the way at certain moments in the game we conceded goals. Um, so it's probably not one moment, but there were many moments. Uh, I think, you know, eight games last season we lost by one goal. Um, you know, sometimes, or, or maybe not sometimes, but often, you know, it's a real fine line and we just didn't know how to handle certain situations last season as a team and, and that cost us uh, some games. So. But I guess out of that, if you can understand and identify, you know, where, you know, where those uh, mistakes are and improve on it, then, uh, you know, then it becomes a real positive, which is, you know, what we've always tried to be as, as positive as possible. Who have been your role models as, for coaching? Uh, I've had, I've played under a number of, you know, uh, big football coaches with, you know, big names, big pedigrees. Terry Venables is probably the, the one that sort of sticks out the most. Um, you know, incredible person um, off the field, you know, with everyone that only players, but with staff and you know, as, a, as a football coach, he was, you know, he was great. Um, and you know, working national teams together with Aurelio Vidmar was a great experience. Together with uh, you know, with Andrew as a mentor, so I've, I've sort of been lucky to be around. Some real quality people and, and, and football people who I've been able to take uh, a lot from. On the sidelines there at uh, the training session, you're quite animated and getting a touch in there every now and again. You uh, still frustrated that you can't still be playing? Uh, no, I look, I, I sort of stopped, I believe, at the right time, and of course, there's always, um, there's always part of you that still thinks that you're a footballer. Um, but I've been lucky because uh, the you know the 16 to 18 months I've had here, um, you know, many many had many moments or in many moments during the game, you know, the players sort of make me feel like I'm still playing. Um, so I don't often join in the training. Um, it's only when um, we're sort of down on numbers, um, but you know, I sort of give the same energy as I was as a player, and I feel that's important to get. Uh, the message through to the Right, coming up this weekend, we've got Central Coast Mariners, as you've just heard. Um, we'll be taking on Melbourne Victory at Central Coast Stadium on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, as the as the late kickoff. Uh, then Friday night, Sydney FC versus Perth Glory. Saturday, the early game, Phoenix will take will host Brisbane Raw, and Adelaide City, the evening game on on the Saturday night. Jets will take on the Wanderers at the McDonald Jones Stadium. Um, what are we looking forward to out of them? Which, which game jumps out to you boys? Uh, I'm excited to see Sydney FC versus Perth Glory because I thought Perth did very well uh, on the weekend. They had a big crowd, 12,000. Yeah. Um, yep. That's pretty good for them. Yep. And, uh, good to see Keo and Taggart on Yeah, on so I'm, I'm excited to see them. Um, Adelaide United versus Melbourne City. Adelaide's on fire. Um, beware the German-coached A-League team. Um, well, I was quite impressed by Mariner's um, initial home attendance and, and I thought mm. they got a good crowd. So this is the, 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 only the second game that they'll be playing at home and, and they're hosting victory. So hopefully a good crowd comes out on a Sunday night and they put on a show. Yeah, likewise with the Jets. I mean, they got 16,000 for their opening game, mm. which was a fantastic result for yeah. them. Uh, so hopefully the, uh, the injury to Vargas won't put off the thousands. And we'll come back again. But uh, I think that'll be an interesting match, actually. That'll be a good test for the Jets just to see exactly where they are without Vargas and just in general. Uh, Wanderers will be uh, trying to lick the wounds after last night's FFA Cup defeat. Mm. And, and the Jets is a good example of... They, they came last, last season, right? But they've got a great squad. And they're a, it's a football town, Newcastle, and they know 
they've got some good players. Yeah. So that's why the crowds are there. They they Absolutely. know. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a sign for you know your Brisbane Roars that if you bring in quality players, people will come. Yeah. It, I mean, I think Newcastle people are excited by what they could see from the Jets this mm. season, whereas Brisbane people are pretty pessimistic. What worries me more about Brisbane is they're not getting the points at this stage in the season when they've got all these veteran players yeah. and they're reasonably fresh and injury-free. Mm. It's not going to get better as the season goes on. I think we may we will see a, a slight upturn in their fortunes for the next few weeks, perhaps. Mm. But come Christmas and thereafter, I don't hold out too much hope for them. There we go. Well, we'll leave it there, boys. Um, hey, we've got a mag on sale. Oh, we do, yeah. Ooh. Uh, it is the best new signings issue. So you can actually go through it and just struck off the ones that have been hit down by injury <laughs> and ruled out for the rest of the season. Uh, but other than that, it's, it's a cracking read. Uh, we've got one the best new signing from every A-League club and we have a look at the billion-dollar gamble that uh, the clubs in the EPL are taking with their big-money signings. And we have a fantastic chat with Sam Kerr uh, we spoke to her before Everdale started speaking to her. We were there before. We were there first. We were the hipsters. We were the Sam Care hipsters. Uh, and uh, we've got some uh, great chat with her and people who know her. And she's on the cover along with all the other EPL and A League stars. And also the 25 best Champions League games from Europe. Uh, we name them all. You can probably guess which one's number one, but think about the other 24 too. Uh, get the mag, enjoy, it's great. There we go. Um, thanks for tuning in. I've been your host, Adam Jackson, uh, and we'll speak to you next week. So you say goodbye, Kevin. I'm not Adam Jackson. Say goodbye, Con. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> speak soon. Bye.